the title of this series is called Away in a Manger. And so, like I said, this will be going through Christmas Eve. By the way, our Christmas Eve service, we're going to change it up a little bit this year from what we have, actually a lot of bit, from what we have been doing the past several years, just because we have the involvement of the choir, the videos, different things that are happening. We're going to go to a single service at 8 o'clock this year on Christmas Eve. So that's going to be happening. Uh, that's going to be, you know, the 24th of this month, which is obviously Christmas Eve. So you can go ahead and begin making plans. Now, as we were talking through this and um, the, the suggestion was made, I thought, you know, I think this could work. And just talking with uh, some of the, the leaders and everything who help organizing the services and everything. And because it's right in the middle of our six o'clock service and our 10 o'clock service. So um, again, just make an adjustment for that, if you will. And we'll still have communion. So basically the service will look mostly the same. Uh, we will have the video element and the choir element that's added. Um, and then communion at the end. So the service may be a little bit longer than it has been in the past, um, but that's just because we'll all be in one service for communion. So um, just as you're making plans for that. But again, the title of this series is Away in a Manger. Each week, we are going to feature a different Christmas carol that has uh, its roots really based in Scripture. O Come Emmanuel is the one we're going to look at today. And uh, we do at Abundant Life, we also celebrate the Advent season. And so you see the different candles that are up here. And we'll talk about each, uh, a, a different candle each week and what it represents and um, just spiritually how much it can apply to our lives. Today, we're talking about hope. And so we'll be lighting the hope candle here in just a little bit. Um, but today's title is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel uh, in this series of Away in a Manger. And so we're going to see the significance of the song that we, um, that we sang today. Not only does it have, trace its roots back to the book of Isaiah, but even a little bit later in that, in the first uh, few years after Jesus had even resurrected, uh, back in the hundreds, so in the early hundreds, not the thousands, but the early hundreds when this... Um, uh, this song really got its, I should say, the roots started within that. But today, talking about hope, you and I all know people who are looking for hope in one form or another. Um, we're looking for, in, in, in our political climate, in our work climate, in our, in our families, maybe in, on your way to coming to know Jesus as your personal Savior, uh, we've all looked for hope. Everybody has looked for hope or is looking for hope in some form or another. And uh, there's a song I was, now this is before a lot of people's time. This is a boomer comment, I guess. Okay, boomer comment. But remember the song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend? How many of you remember that? Everybody's working for the... Luke, you know that. Good job, buddy. Um, so you, you think about that. You, you look to getting away. You know, we have Thanksgiving that we just had. So maybe hopefully you had some, a little bit of time off of work. Uh, Christmas season coming up. Most of us will have a little bit of time off of work. Uh, so we look forward to these times. Get away from the rat race. We're hoping for school to get over with quickly. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you. I was hoping there would be at least one. And I knew it would be Kendall of all people. <laughs> But we're looking for school, just a break from that. We're looking forward to something. It's an awaiting. Maybe you're awaiting a healing this morning. Maybe you're awaiting a restoration this morning. Um, maybe you're awaiting a revelation uh, this morning, or even salvation for yourself or for some people who don't know Jesus. And so involved in this waiting period, there's always hope because that is the, when that hope is realized, then what you've been praying for is fulfilled at that moment. 
One day our faith will become sight when we see Jesus. So we're waiting for that day. Our hope is in the return of Jesus Christ so that we can be united again um, in, I guess, in a physical realm with our Heavenly Father. Now, we're united now with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God for salvation. We'll be partaking of communion at the end of the service today that reminds us of that as well. But Isaiah the prophet was depicted here um, in the video that we just saw. In his book, he used hope as a major part of his book that he wrote uh, in his Old Testament book. Uh, by the way, if you want to go ahead and turn to verse 40, we'll be there in just, or chapter 40, we'll be there in just a few moments in Isaiah. But Isaiah was a guy who wrote and prophesied from the year 739 to 681 BC. So that's 700 years to 739 years to 681 years, give or take. Um, before the birth of, of Jesus uh, happened. And he ministered primarily to the people of Jerusalem because why? Well, that was God's chosen people. So he was ministering to them. He was telling of hope. See, Israel, they lived in a spiritual darkness of judgment because they had broken their covenant with God. And it was like a, a cycle with Israel. They would follow God and then they would follow, fall away. Then they would follow God and repent and then they would fall away. So there was this cycle that was happening. And the times that they would fall, fall away... They would go into things like captivity, or they would wander in the wilderness, or they would not hear a message from God. So each time that they got to this, we may call it rock bottom in our lives, they would start to look for hope in these moments. And so as Isaiah is writing, he's wanting to bring Israel hope because, yes, they had sinned again, but now they were recognizing another generation had come along. And they were beginning to recognize, where is God? Because they heard stories of what miracles that God had done before. And so they were looking for him, but they worshiped idols. They lived a rebellious life. Their rebellion and their idol worship eventually led them into exile. And that's where they would go into uh, captivity. And uh, basically, essentially, they were slaves. Their darkness grew darker because of their oppressors. There are believers and unbelievers alike who live in a form of exile today. Before we came to Christ, we were in exile from the presence of God. We um, did not enjoy that presence of God that we can today. Even as believers, our sin will cause us to live in, in a sense, in a sense of exile. Um, we still love, Jesus still loves us, right? But because of sin, it pushes us away, um, and we can't fully enjoy the presence of God because there's that sin that's there that separates uh, that, that's there that the whole reason why Jesus came was to bring us back into fellowship with him. But even believers today may be in a form of exile because sin holds people captive. Specific, specific sins bind us and keep us from fully experiencing his blessing. And we long for a freedom from sin, from that particular sin. If you've ever been in a place where you're bound by a particular sin, granted, you love Jesus, okay? I want to make that clear. You love Jesus, Jesus loves you, but you just find yourself, you're getting tripped up, and you're getting tripped up. And I think Paul even writes about the, the sin that so easily ensnares us or entangles us. There's that sin that's there. And so it, it holds captive. And we look for hope. God, will you rescue me from this? Because I, it just... I have a desire, but man, it seems like sin has more of a hold on me than what I realized. And so we're looking for hope because sin is holding people captive. We see bondage in our current world events. There are terrorist attacks that have happened. 
There's an abuse of power. There's an abuse of people, and there's abuse of position that happens. We see it in our world. You see it in government, world governments. You see it maybe even in your workplace, maybe even in your own home. You see these uh, abuses of power, people, and position that are happening. There's corruption in our government. There may be corruption in your workplace. Human trafficking and the opioid crisis are the big topics right now, especially in our area. You know, we, we live so close to I-77 and 40. It's a major drug trafficking area for opioids and human trafficking. It's, it, it will blow your mind. I mean, if we could fully see and understand how big it was in this area. And people are wanting freedom, but there's oppression and there is exploitation. And, and here as believers, we're thinking, God, what can we do? God, will you bring freedom and hope from this thing that, that binds us? So we look at how we deal with this stuff here in the United States of America now, but how much more it was for the people of Israel because they were literal captives of another nation or would be literal captives of another nation. And we ask this question, how did we end up here? As a nation, how did we end up here in the opioid crisis? How did we end up here in human trafficking? How did we end up with sin being celebrated the way that it is, and promoted, not just tolerated, but promoted as well. But then we look at our own life. God, how did I end up in this place? Because I started off at a point where I followed you with all of my heart and with all of my life, and I truly could sing the song, God, I surrender all, but now there's this little place in my life where I can't surrender it all. I recognize that I don't. How did we end up here? Is this what God intended for my life? Is this what God intended for my country? Is this what God intended for my family? Why do I feel so far away from God? There's disease, there's debt, there's depression, there's death that's all around us. I'm building a pretty bleak picture here, but I want you to get a sense of what Isaiah was coming up against. Bleakness, oppression, slavery, death, separation from God. Here's what I've come to find and you are aware of, that people need hope. People have always needed hope. Always. The, the things that we're facing in America right now isn't a new thing. People have always longed for hope. The prophet Isaiah, his name means salvation of Yahweh. It's kind of a foreshadowing to who Jesus is, who Jesus was when he came, but also who he is. Salvation of Yahweh. Think of the hope that is planted in the hearts of the people of Israel when they say his name. It means hope, of, a hope of a savior, hope of the world. What I want us to do is look at how Isaiah's book points to the prophetic hope of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to take a few minutes to do. And I had you turn to uh, the book of Isaiah. So we're going to read a few things here, and then we're going to go to the book of Matthew uh, to, to bring this all together and see what this has to do with the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So the prophetic hope of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus First of all, we will see, actually it's later in the chapter in Isaiah, in, in uh, chapter 40, uh, the announcement of his coming. So when these people were looking for hope, there came a point where Isaiah said, your Savior is coming. Have hope in the Lord. Now this was written 700 to 650-ish years before the Messiah actually came, but he is prophesying at this moment, he is on the way. 
the reality is, would those people see it? Would that generation and the generations after see it? The immediate generations after see it? No, they wouldn't. But hope was on the way. God was giving comfort to his people. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 says this, Listen, it is the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight Make a straight highway through the wasted land for our God. Fill in the valleys for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Uh, I'm sorry. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. By the way, this is where Dukes of Hazard got their themes. It's not really. I just, sorry, let me let's start that over because this is, this is serious. <laughs> Fill in the valleys, verse 4, and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. So this is the announcement of the coming of hope of the Messiah that the people were so longing for. And, of course, we read about this in the New Testament, too. Jesus and, and John, they began to talk about this. Look who's coming. Uh, and Jesus announces that he is. Secondly, Isaiah announces his virgin birth. Now, this comes earlier in the chapter, in, uh, chapter, in, in the book, in chapter 7, verse 14. Uh, Isaiah says this, All right, then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is a prophecy that would be fulfilled that we see in the book of Matthew. We see in the book of Luke. We see these, uh, these prophecies that are happening Seven to six hundred years before it actually happened. God was speaking to a man named Isaiah who's, who was going to be, who's, who's announcing and bringing uh, the message that hope was on the way. Thirdly, you see the proclamation of the good news. Isaiah chapter 61, if you want to turn there. Isaiah chapter 61, we'll look at verse 1. It says here, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And of course, he goes through the rest of this, and Jesus will quote this whole section of Scripture a little bit later in his ministry. But it's the proclamation of the good news that Jesus was coming to bring good news to the poor. This means, yes, there were physically poor people at that time, but also the poor in spirit. Jesus talked about them, those who recognized that they needed the hope of a Savior. So long before Jesus came, six to seven hundred years before he came, Isaiah was offering hope through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'll say this too, that God has even placed us here, those of us who have heard hope, we are responsible to give that to people who have no hope. Why are you in the neighborhood and the workplace that you are in where there are unbelievers? Because people need hope. Amen. They have not had their personal advent with Jesus as of yet. Even though he's come, even though he's made atonement, even though he's made provision, they have yet to receive that for themselves. The proclamation of the good news. Fourthly, his sacrificial death. He begins to uh, prophesy about that. Now, if you've taken notes, write down Isaiah 52, verses 13 
And you're going to read through the rest of that chapter. And then you're going to start in Isaiah chapter 53 and go through verse 12. Now, I'm not going to read all of that portion, but I encourage you to do that. But there's, there's a little bit I want, to, I want to pull out of here talking about his sacrificial death. Starting in verse 13, Isaiah begins to write, See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. Now, he's talking about leading up to the cross. Okay, and this almost sounds like Isaiah is not telling a truthful message when you get into verse 14. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human, and his form, and from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Now, what is this depicting here? The crucifixion. We're going to be receiving a communion here in just a few moments that we remember that. But he began, see, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But this is going to surprise you because you're not even going to be able to recognize him at this point. Moving ahead to chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. That's what the people thought, that Jesus must have sinned. That's why he's, he's suffering. Verse 5, but it wasn't because of his own sins. Listen to this. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Now the people must have thought, Isaiah, what are you even talking about? This does not make sense because when the Messiah comes, everybody knows he's going to be powerful. What is he even talking about? Isaiah was offering hope that would no longer require the sacrifice of animals because the precious blood of the Lamb of God would be the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. He goes on in verse 9 of chapter 53. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. So the question after reading that is, where do you need hope today? Where have people expressed to you an area that they need hope? And it may come across just in a conversation. They don't necessarily say, I need hope. But you hear them begin to say, you know, it just, I don't know if this is going to work out. I don't know if this relationship is going to work out. I don't know how the finances, you know, they're looking for all these things. They have all these questions. Where do you need hope today? The prophecies of the Messiah ring true today, saying that we have hope because hope has come. His name is Jesus, and we no longer have to wait because he is here. Now, I want to light this candle here just as a representation. And as Isaiah in the um, video that we just saw, as he was lighting that candle, you remember the, the, the room had gone dark. The, the candle had been totally put away. It was, it was at nighttime, and he could barely see, and he stubbed his toe, and um, I would imagine probably blamed it on his wife. That's what we guys tend to do, right? 
But then he lit the candle again, and according to the depiction that we just saw, it, it became clear. God, a baby? I mean, just something so, that doesn't even make sense. Well, he lit the candle, and all of a sudden it filled the room. Hope was going to be entering the world in the form of a baby who is the Messiah, who would be the hope of the whole world. I want us to read the memory verse together out of Isaiah chapter 9, and it's verse 2 here. You want to read this with me? The people who walked in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. That just, that, what, is, what is, some people call it chicken skin or whatever, goose bumps, I don't know, whatever. That just, man, that just gives me so much joy. It just, it's such an exciting verse to know that, one, I found that hope and you found that hope and there are people who are searching for that and there is a light. People who have been living in a deep darkness can find light because of Jesus who is the light of the world. He goes on in verse 6 of chapter 9, Therefore a child is born to us, a son is given, the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. How do we know this prophecy was fulfilled? Well, we have the pleasure of being past this time of history, and we were able to read the book of Matthew. If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, I want to read this. We're going to start in verse 20. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. <clears throat> It says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from all of their sins. I'm going to go through verse 25 here. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. All right, so Matthew is now going to quote what the prophet said. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Uh, when Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, all of that passage right there reflects back to the prophecy that had been given some six to seven hundred years earlier. Just as the prophet, just as the Lord had told the prophet, virgin birth, there's a Messiah who is coming and he will be the light of the world. Hope arrived and they named him Jesus, which means God saves. Isaiah pointed the people who are living in darkness to the light of the world. Now we sang a Christmas carol, which is one of my favorites, I think. I just, especially call me sentimental or not sentimental, but originalist, I guess. But I love to hear even the monks sing that song, okay? Just to hear the original, well, not original, but anyway, what it must have been like, I guess you would say. I love to hear that. But they have significant meaning, as I was saying. Today's carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is one of the oldest. 
The origin of this carol dates back to around the 7th century, okay? So that's the origins of it. Not that exact version that we sing today, but the origins of that. And I want to show you here in just a moment. But anyway, monks were singing a variation of this song even before the 7th century. I think I read like the 4th or 5th century. They were singing a variation of what we would eventually have now. But there's a guy who wrote on this. He, he's a historian. He's a, a believer. Actually, I just heard him. Um, quick timeout and commercial break. If you like listening to podcasts, I recommend one called Unashamed. How many of you like Duck Dynasty? You remember that show that used to come out, Duck Dynasty? Well, uh, Phil Robertson is leading that particular uh, podcast. And I mean, it is filled with how, how they've led people to Jesus, their whole purpose of the gospel. Every episode that I have listened to, man, I've gotten so much out of that. But anyway, they had this guy on here named Eric Metaxas. And I think Eric is... I know he went to school at Yale and he got all of these things and he said, I didn't quite understand everything, but one day Jesus got a hold of me. So anyway, he's, he's a believer now. He's a writer, all of these things. But he wrote an article called Salvation in One Hymn. And I want you to listen to this. He says, I want, to you, I want you to imagine yourself in a monastery in the 8th century. It's December 17th and you've gathered with your brothers for Vespers. Okay, what that means is just, anyway, it's called the pre-sunset it's called the sunset prayer service. So whenever the sun was setting, they would come together for a prayer time called the Vespers. As with all Vespers, at the heart of the service was the chanting of select psalms. So they were repeating the psalms over and over. Each of them preceded and followed by what is known as an antiphon. All right. It's a sung or recited response. So in a lot of the liturgical churches that we have today, even here in Mooresville, they'll do a lot of reciting of scriptures where the, the, the pastor or the priest or whoever, they will say a portion of the scripture, the people will repeat that. So that's the idea. What sets De December 17th apart and the six nights that follow it are the seven antiphons or the recitings used only on these nights, okay? So only on these nights are these things repeat repeated, which I'm about to read. Each one is a name of Christ. Specifically, they are messianic titles from the book of Isaiah that we just read. First is the, and I may pronounce these wrong, but anyway, Sapeta which means wisdom. That's who Jesus is. Adonai, which is Lord. Adix, which is the root of Jesse. He's a descendant. Clavis, the key of David. I don't know if you noticed, but our song today had that phrase in there, the key of David. Oriens, which means day spring. Rex, which means the king of nations. And Emmanuel, which we know to mean God is with us. Because each of these titles, and this is still Eric Metaxas writing, because each of these titles is preceded by the word O, they are known as the O antiphones. O come, O call me Emmanuel is one of those. If this sounds familiar, it should. I have just given you a glimpse of the origins of O come, O come, Emmanuel, the greatest advent, or should I say, Christian hymn of all time. While I ask you to imagine an 8th century monastery, the old antiphons predate the 8th century. The Roman philosopher Boethus, who lived in the late 5th and early 6th centuries, alludes to them in his writings. It is reasonable to suppose, as one scholar put it, that in some fashion the old antiphons have been part of our liturgical tradition since the very early church. But it's what they teach us, and not just their antiquity, that gives them their power. 
The composer and musicologist Robert Greenberg has noted that if you take the first letter of each of these titles that I just read in reverse order, by December 23rd, you have the Latin phrase, so you're doing an acrostic here, eros cross, which means tomorrow I will come. That was written, the names of Christ. And you take these back and it, tomorrow I will come. Here's what I want us to understand, just the significance of this hymn. I mean, just the beauty of it, how far back it's, it's, it reaches and, and the hope that it offers us. Jesus has come into the world. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Praise God for that. Yet, you may be, an experiencing, you may be experiencing an area of your life that seems like utter darkness. Or you know people who are. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the hope of the world. And he wants to show you, your loved ones, those that are acquaintances or friends with you. He wants to show his light in our lives today. We're going to um, begin to take communion here. So if the ushers will go ahead and prepare to, um, to receive this. I'm going to have Dwayne come up. And Dwayne's going to lead us in a time of communion. And I want you to maybe look at the areas where you're needing hope in your life, where you are praying for someone that you know needs hope in their lives. And take a little bit of time to make this even your prayers. Dwayne gets ready to lead us through this. And uh, then Dwayne is going to, Dwayne, if you'll go ahead and just dismiss us, I'm going to go to the back. Um, but if you need prayer, Malou will be coming up as well. And you need hope. You need Jesus. Um, you need his hope to be a part of your life today. You love Jesus, but um, allow them to pray for you as well.